So today on the podcast, I've got the pleasure of having Lola Ortiz with me. She's uh, someone I met recently at a networking sort of event, and I was um, very impressed by her kind of insight and how just how sharp and perceptive she was. So when she agreed to come onto the podcast and kind of share her industry knowledge about how to uh, reach and uh, communicate and convert and really break through with a millennial audience through video content, that was really exciting for me because it's something that I think is um, quite tricky for a lot of businesses and for a lot of freelancers who are struggling to get traction out there. Um, I'm certain that her advice and insight is going to really help you with that. So Lola, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Very excited. Cool. So uh, if you wouldn't mind, if it's okay, just to get a kind of brief backstory of kind of where you are now and how you got there and your experience. Yeah, of course. So I have been working in marketing for 10 years now. I started young, (laughs) started at the agency side at WPP. I worked in the digital side of things as a community manager and then moved on to account executive, then moved on to Young and Rubicam. So I've done the agency side, which is very interesting for me. Yeah. And then I moved on to the client side as the head of a commercial department for what I could best describe as Franco Manca, but in the Dominican Republic, which is where I'm from. Yeah. So I got two ends of the spectrum there. And it's been interesting because I've also done a lot of consulting work on the side, just helping brands in terms of strategic development. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. So you've kind of, as you say, you've seen it from both sides, from the sort of, like I said, the agency side and the client side. Yeah, that's it. And I, I've been able to work with brands that are big and small and just trying to tap into how they can get the right strategies in place and trying to reach their target audiences. And it's all been very, very focused on research, which I think is the most important element for anyone that is in our industry. Yeah. And that's what brought me to London. I'm, I was doing my master's in strategic marketing and I saw Smart Cookie Media, which is where I work now, and they are heavily focused on research, which is what I love. So I decided to give it a go and here I am. Amazing. It's quite a long travel journey and I, and I, I have a little bit of, uh, I can understand where you're coming from, certainly from the agency side myself. Uh, it's interesting to have, you know, especially I'd imagine going from that side and then going client side and realizing that you you know all the kind of tricks and strategies that the agency are trying yeah. to pull on you and you can go, no, no, that's I've it. been there, don't try this. Yes, that's it. And I have a lot of appreciation for the agency side of things. I know there are a lot of freelancers that have started as agencies and I know a lot of people that are in agencies that have side hustles. Yes. And and I really I really try to bring a word of awareness because it is such a great school for Mm -hmm. skills i mean it's a skill school where you really learn how to put the hat on of different brands and just really understand your target audience and at least i had the pleasure of working with people that were very strategically minded i mean my creative director if i did not bring a good strategy and i was out the door yes which is great no absolutely i think i mean the strategy part of it you know the planning and everything the account team I know that creatives can be quite sort of uh, a bit grumpy and a bit awkward and a bit precious about their ideas, but it's one of those things that I kind of, um, since leaving, I'm kind of like, God, I, I fully didn't take advantage of, of understanding just how important that role was. And actually you kind of just take the brief and get on with it and you're always grizzling, but it's crucial, isn't it? Like you say, it's kind of, you're, you're dealing with multi-million pound budgets 
and huge global brands and like, it's got to be right and this you know anything you do has to have a very well thought out strategy before you get started otherwise it's just yes. chaos and for me it was very much like they would not work if it wasn't that way developed so i had certain standards that i had to meet so there was no creative side of it if my side wasn't well developed so it really pushed me to really go into insight discovery and even get to do field research just to try and tap into the psyche of my audiences uh yeah and i think that is also um hugely valuable like, like, like you said the research bit is definitely I know in the past I've been tempted to sort of jump it because you want to get to the juicy creative bit and the fun ideas bit. But yeah. I found actually, you know, more recently now I've, you know, sort of calmed down a bit. There's so much gold in that early stage and so much insight. Someone will say something or tell you a story and you can often build so much off the back of that. And I think you're almost like that kind of taking the patience and the time to talk to people on the ground level is massively valuable. A hundred percent. It's foundational for any campaign and for anything really that you're developing for a brand. If you don't have your, and it starts really with your audience first. So yeah. who are you speaking to? That's the first thing. What is your objective? Why are you reaching out to these people? Especially now because it's so saturated. There's so much noise at every level, really. No matter your budget, there's noise in your market. Yes, it's, it's super noisy and people are always kind of claiming to have the next big hack to help you stand out. But um, if, if you're, because I think, you know, again, the research thing, uh, a lot of people will either get pay someone else to do it, but I think there's so much value in actually experiencing it ourselves. What tips would you give on kind of simple research sort of, or like, you know, things that are non-negotiable when it comes to doing research, what are sort of simple hacks that you've come across, which have really given you really great insight that are actually quite straightforward to carry out? So I think, at a first level, if it's low budget and I just need to know what's going on, the internet is there for a reason. I mean, it's technology has this amazing way of giving transparency to so many markets that we haven't tapped into before. Mm -hmm. And if you are able to tap into academic research papers, third party research is the best way of you getting an overview of what's going on in the market. And the next level is that if you want to do a bit of field research, but on the digital side, there are websites like LinkedIn or Reddit are amazing for you to tap into. And you'd be surprised the amount of people that are willing to just answer a couple of questions if you know that if they know that you're reaching out to them for a specific reason. So okay. I've had really good interviews with people that I've, I've found on LinkedIn. And I don't even I didn't know them before, but I know that they were linked to some research I was doing and I just tapped into them and they happened to be completely willing to give me information and it, it, it's insight from literally the inside of what you're working on it really helps so yes. i think the internet is the easiest way to do it and like i am one that i'll go out into a mall and just like ask people stuff as well yeah but not everyone's up for field research no i think those kind of is they're called it's not that affectionate but charity muggers have kind of ruined it for, for <laughs> to go, have you got a minute and it's, it's just absolutely not i have i've got plenty of minutes but not for you um and like you just pawn them off you don't want to give eye contact but i like that insight of going to linkedin so is that sorry to get quite granular on this but you know this is really valuable i think is it so is it a case of you'd put a post out saying i'm looking to speak to these kind of people or do you hang around in groups or do you just approach someone based off their profile Yes. So groups are really good for these types of things, but then also searching based on profile. So okay. if you know, if you, and this goes back to what we were talking about, if you know your audience, you know that these are people, I'm looking for people that are actually in heads of HR. So then yeah. you start narrowing down your search 
And we've had really a lot of people that reach out to us because at Smart Cookie Media, we do a lot of LinkedIn work and training. And we even have an online course that's been really helpful, helpful for people that are starting off because yeah. it shows you how to go through this amazing tool called Sales Navigator that can really pinpoint who your audience is and how you can actually tap into them. Okay, great. So, and that, that's obviously, I mean, I want to come on to that because I'm quite excited about the, your documentary that you've made. But so is that, is that what that's linked to? So as part of the sort of training, they can watch this, um, the whole series and it will teach them about Sales Navigator as well? Yes. So we, it, it came as a response really, because we have a lot of entrepreneurs and solopreneurs um, and freelancers that really want to work with us, but they don't have the budget to, to put into the marketing because it's heavily focused on video. And even though there's packages of all sizes, you know, you, you're one, a one man band, how can I get started? Yeah. So the online core, and there's people from at a global level, you get these types of questions where it turns out that literally whoever you are, you need marketing because mm -hmm. You're a freelancer in whatever field. How are you going to get your product out there? How are you going to tell people about your service? So this course is aimed at that. The idea is that it really shows you what is a step-by-step -step guide into putting the hat on of being a brand manager for yourself, basically. Okay, great. And just for those who want to uh, find out a bit more, what's that called and where can they find that? Um, so somiariane.teachable.com. Okay. Our, Somi is our founder and it's on her Teachable. Okay, great. So that's something to look into. Because I know that, yes, like you said, that doing the research is, is so important and knowing the techniques of doing it. And I like the idea, I think before, when people have been advising, I've certainly done this, you join various groups of people, you want to learn a little bit more, but it's very much mm -hmm. you're a lurker, which I think is fine. But as you say, it's very passive. And people are fairly forthcoming. If you could say, look, I've got a quick question about this. Um, is anyone up for just answering a few questions and, and the insight you can get is, is phenomenally effective and useful yeah definitely and even social listening is yeah. quite can be quite powerful if you know who you're who you want to listen to again and so how would you platforms do that? like well i mean platforms like twitter are really good because there are open forum discussions and reddit as well and the idea is that if you have a subject that you're interested and again this also goes back to the course really where, where it's better described but the idea is that you have a specific subject that you want to tap into understanding who your audience is, for example. So you'll hashtag, you'll use different hashtags to read what is organically happening online. Mm -hmm. And if you're working with a brand, for example, you try and see how you can make that brand a part of that conversation. But it's literally just a passive way of you reading what is going on digitally that this brand could be a part of. Yes. Okay. So that's very much like when you're formulating ideas as to where we're looking to get inroads because there's, you know, the problems that keep coming up sort of thing that we could help with. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Ah, okay. <clears throat> I know. Yes. Cause I've heard, um, I, I, I'm sure it is true cause he wouldn't lie, but the Gary Vaynerchuk kind of, uh, anecdotes about spending eight hours on Twitter, just searching for hashtags around wine <laughs> and just answering questions, which I kind of love. Uh, he is a maniac and I'm, I'm a bit kind of impressed and big fan of him. But yeah, that's the same kind of thing, isn't it? You're kind of looking at hashtags, looking at phrases and then either offering insightful advice or just reading and observing and just seeing the themes that are emerging. That's it. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you get an insider look into your consumer. Now, Reddit is a complete mystery to me. I've never, really? like, I, <laughs> well, do you I've heard it's amazing and it's one of those things I've seen some threads on there. And you go, oh my God, this is a gold mine of stuff. And then I'll just get distracted, forget and move on and, and like kind of go, I need to go back and understand it. For me, who's clearly well behind the curve, if I'm trying to get valuable insight from Reddit, 
where would you is it the same sort of thing i just search for search terms or are they threads yeah um <laughs> that's what i know reddit is interesting there's a lot of people people know it people know reddit but a lot of people aren't really tapping into it yeah um so the point of reddit is that it's like organic communities right so if you have a broom a product that you want to sell you can search for community names and you can tap into a gold mine that would be broom lovers community for example to yeah. give you a very weird example, but yeah. yeah. So the idea is that you can search through communities, but then you can also search through conversations and you can find different ways of kind of reaching out. And also Reddit is great for doing research. So if you want, if you have a small survey that you'd like to share, yeah, you'd be, it's really good for responses and you can get them at a global level or you can kind of diminish it if you only want UK, for example. Okay, so that's good. So again, it's like you've got, you've got questions and surveys and these are all... Um, do you go in with a kind of theory? What stage do you migrate from kind of just listening to like, I think we've got an idea and I'm, I'm formulating perhaps a potential product I want to put to the audience. I just need to get a few questions. How does that, when do you sort of begin to solidify the, the information you're gathering? So I've, I've, it's really, it's a pie. How you slice it really depends on, on the brand that you're working with. Mm -hmm. I, I really believe in the, the whole tailored approach to how you go, go through this. But the, I think the good thing is to always do it. I mean, mostly I found it successful when you do it throughout a campaign. So when okay. you're aware of what's going on externally from your brand in terms of the conversation of your consumers, but then also with your brand. So it's yeah. really helped me to, because it, it, it really helps the full development of it. Because when you even go down to the, to the last bit or the copy of something, you want to know how do they speak? You yes. can find that out online. No, that's really good. That, that's really important. Like I say, terms. I know that my friend was interviewing for a social media manager at his hotel and he threw in certain terms that he wanted to know if they knew or not. Amazing. <clears throat> it's a small thing. Really but good. Kind of like, if they don't know that, then that's, that's a really great. good way of going, okay, they're just not for the job. I know they might say they're brilliant, but these are kind of like, if you're, if you're really into this, you should probably know what that is or you should be looking to understand that inner language. And I think that again it's it's forming that affinity with that group and i love the idea because i've never really thought of it like this because for me it's usually been the creative execution but being able to kind of take the temperature of the industry and and the, whatever you're you know whichever you are focusing on as you're building the campaign just increases like you say the sort of the fact that the way it's going to be received and you can seed ideas and you can like refine elements as you're going just to increase kind of impact and kind of you know getting a good reception exactly i think of it like organic product placement so yes. you literally just want to place that product in their lives so what do they do now that that project that product can seamlessly go into it yes that makes sense like you say so it, and it is like you say the organic thing i mm -hmm. guess they feel it feels organic to them but obviously clearly because you're just listening to them the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, they don't have to know. they don't listen to this podcast do they? <laughs> no, no it well you know placement's doing it to all of us so it is that thing of, you know you do find whatever you've been talking about all of a sudden is in your social feed and it's exactly. kind of this weird thing of that's oh. creepy but kind of useful i'm not quite sure I think it's beautiful it. yeah i think it's great <laughs> it's really efficient it's like yeah i was actually yeah i need that and you found it for me rather than theory <laughs> which is just appalling that doesn't do anything um that, <laughs> exactly the other part of this obviously creative then you've got distribution so this is really interesting because I'm going to come on to kind of what you do at Smart Cookie and this whole thing of reaching millennials. But when it comes to kind of the distribution and the marketing, you've gathered the research. 
does that affect again distribution because you're looking at specific channels they pay attention in is it kind of is it like full circle to pull those together amazing that's a really good question so the distribution is half of the game basically Mm-hmm. And it's crucial, like it can kill whatever amazing concept or strategy you have, because if you don't know where they are online, how are you going to actually connect with them? Yeah, if no one so, sees it or hears it, then it's irrelevant. It, hasn't, it has, doesn't exactly, exist. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And you're just sitting on a good idea. And we have this, um, this diagram, because a lot of what we do at Smart Cookie Media is we have to really educate um, decision makers on understanding how this digital mindset has changed and how consumers have changed. Mm. And we have, it's a simplified diagram that can really show you what is, how do you actually have to make content online? And we call it the modern marketing house. And okay. in the house, it's, and you literally pinpoint it because one of the the, one of the pillars is production. So you have this distribution, sorry. So you have production. So that is what you're going to make, right? What value yeah. it is and what actually you're going to put out there. But the distribution is the other pillar. So if you don't have the distribution pillar, you won't have a correctly built house. Yes, no, absolutely. They're like, it is always that balance, isn't it? And I know that this was always the slight, well, it's my, again, a mindset problem. I get too preoccupied with the creative and then you're completely reliant on the media team and media buyers to actually make sure it's seen by people. But nowadays, often, you know, you can't rely on that. You've got to kind of have an angle of, I've got to do both a little bit, or as a business or for a client, I've got to be aware of both. So I think that's, that's, that's huge. So when it, so when it comes to choosing the best distribution channels, what kind of, how would you gather information about that? Is it, you know, what do you, for example, if you're looking at this as my audience, do you go as granular as kind of saying who's following who on Instagram? Or is it like, well, what, how do you profile them to gather that information to make sure you get effective distribution? So it's the easiest way to do it is literally to start with the person's or your audience's relationship with their phone. So what are their most used apps? And that can literally tell you so much about a person's day to day and it can show you what are the patterns of behavior that you can tap into as well. Mm -hmm. So, and then of course, if you can go into the field research with really pinpointing where they are online, you are able to put the ad in front of them without them even realizing it was there as we were talking about. Yeah. But the idea is that, and in the the benefit of technology is the A-B testing is incredible for these things as well. So you can literally see and follow who is, who, what brings more traction. So is LinkedIn for me or is it Instagram actually? Yeah. And because, and I think there's a lot of um, people, there's a lot of brands that just assume that they need to be on Instagram, for example. Mm-hmm. And that's not really the case. It could be, you'd be surprised the amount of, the amount of traction that LinkedIn can bring and research shows it brings three times more leads. So, you know, it's about knowing more about your audience and their day to day as well. And so then we go into the content because the whole marketing house, it's production distribution, but then the core of it is your story. So what is your origin story? Why do I have to listen to you? The core and center is their story. So your customer story, Yeah. what are their pains and interests? And then the top is the product. So it's what used to be the center of our communication, which was the product, is now just keeping rain out of our heads, basically, which is interesting. That is really interesting. So again, and this probably comes down to the thing of traditionally the, the, the big brands would just kind of not shout at you, but talk at you. You need to buy this Mm. and on TV. But again, it's kind of the way things are changing and society is changing. People, 
you know, and it is that thing of you have to flip it over because they have the power to turn you off and on whenever they want. It's very much a content on demand thing. And, yes. you know, my kids never watch TV. And I was talking to an old friend of mine. He's working out in America and he's doing an old Spice TV advert, uh, Wyden and Kennedy. And it's like dream job. When we were in the agency, we would have just dreamed of working on that. But, you know, it's this thing of like, he's just, you can hear it kind of in his text messages when he's like, I'm not quite sure if this is the future for me as in like, cause nobody's paying as much attention, obviously in, in the industry, everyone likes to pat each other on the back, but you know, when you're up against uh, the internet and like some of the, the people on, you know, TikTok and my daughter's watching, who's it? Is it James Charles, this guy on YouTube who does makeup tutorials and you're like kind of, Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he's bonkers. And I was, I was trying to explain like, it's just for me, it's very unusual because it, but it is just the way attention is. And as you say, it's kind of, I think brands have to be a bit savvier to go. We can so easily be tuned out or switched off that mm -hmm. we don't have the power anymore. So we have to kind of not pander, but we have to fit around the needs of our audience if we want to stay in their lives. I think it's important what you said, the fact that now it's a dialogue. Mm -hmm. So we're, we were used to broadcasting in terms of advertising. And when you were dealing with the big brands, it just was assumed that they would be heard. Yes. Now it's a dialogue. And I mean, when we, it, speaking of the millennial generation, the, the, they are the ones that really have the torch. Like they were holding the torch moving forward into this really aware consumer that is informed, that is demanding, that is asking for origin stories. It's asking for the why. And it's because there is just such an abundance of choice at the moment that they need to be discerning. And when you say that, because that's, um, I also like your, the fact you've, you've mentioned the origin story and the sort of why. Because it's kind of, um, I know that I have this conversation with a lot of brands and it's kind of, they, they almost overlook it. And mm -hmm. you have to kind of, not battle, but it's kind of the, the point of, you, you know, if you're sitting on something significant that is genuinely like purpose driven, there's going to be a huge response. Because you say people are more informed, they're much more, not cynical, but they can, you, you, we can know when we're being bullshitted or sold something mm -hmm. which isn't authentic. And it's one of those things that it's amazing what an impact that can have. So, we, so when, you're, when you're focusing with your clients, origin story because you mentioned it a couple of times that must be big that's kind of telling that story in a way that resonates is important yeah i mean that is literally the foundation for your brand in itself and this is interesting for us because since we have a marketing branch and a hr career development branch it appeals to both ends so whether you're trying to sell to someone or whether you're trying to recruit them yeah millennials want to know why why do I have to listen to you? And, and it's, as you say, there's a lot of brands and companies that don't, haven't really thought about it. Or if they have, it's been very like a tick box. Like, let's just say this is why we are. So yes. it's not really ingrained in their ethos. It's just more of a, a branding way. Oh, no, it's not even proper branding, actually. It's just a way of ticking a box when that's not what it is. No, like they say, they'll, they'll look at something like, say, I, I always think of it, it's probably a bit dated, but Burt's Bees. And it's this thing of like, they'll mm. go, oh, that's a great story. We should probably have something like that. And it's the kind of, you're missing the point. It's, they're, not, they're not doing it to tick a box. They're doing it because it is fundamental um, mm -hmm. to what, who they are. But also it really matters to the people who are buying their product who fall in love with exactly. it. And I think, yeah, this is a, I had a thing. It was quite unusual. I was working for a client in New York called the New York Dermatology Group. And they do high-end like cosmetic skincare and sort of um, cryo sessions and UV drips, IV drips and stuff. It's quite high-end. But they have a, they're obsessed with helping people like cure skin cancer. 
and all these wow. other problems. So they have like these foundation, they set up this foundation to help um, people with albinism and help them to do with, with their lives. And they provide sort of basically education, scholarships, housing. It's extraordinary. And they never talk about it. So oh, I was in really? the room. It's really weird. Yeah. Cause I was in the room and we had this brief where I was like, I had to help them do these Times Square billboards. And I said, look, I, I think if you do like a kind of fashioning ad, it's going to get lost in all the noise and it's going to be a really wasted opportunity. And if anything, it's probably saying you're in Times Square is as important as being there because if you can run the sort of secondhand digital strategy around that, then that gives you a bit of traction. And it was only in the room. I had to like kind of fight with this. It was their, their credit director was lovely because he wanted to run like a product ad. But then they started going on about, well, we do have this sort of foundation that's been running for two years doing work in Africa, saving lives. And you're like, oh my God. And you never talk about this. Like it's just a kind of afterthought. So when we worked on it, we built this whole campaign around those billboards. And now we're doing like a 12 month global campaign all around albinism and the foundation. And they, they decide to give like a hundred percent of their profits from their sun care, which is like a hundred dollars a bottle um, to the foundation to help people with albinism. And it's That's a wonderful amazing. story and I'm going to hop on the phone with them later. And it's just this thing of now you've actually got, like you say, a purpose driven story. But I remember in the room having this conversation of going, I just think that people want to know about that because I think it really matters as to, into like buying decisions and where they like you. And it was, a, and unfortunately I'd already done a presentation where I had these stats to back me up luckily. But as you say, it's a, so for me to hear you kind of reiterate that is really nice for me because I believe in this but it's kind of sometimes you get isolated a little bit because not ever, not all the clients want to spend time on that because they don't see it as important. Mm -hmm. That's it. And that this is the mindset that we're trying to educate people on. And that's why the documentary is, has been such a great piece because the idea is that after you watch it, you're able to understand what is the digital mindset and how I need to take off the promotional hat and move into beyond the dialogue. What can I provide for my consumers? And also the point, I love the point you said about recruiting. So you're not always selling. It's kind of, and I know that having owned restaurants and hotels, and I know you obviously you've worked in that side of the business as well. Being able to like retain your best people is a huge advantage nowadays. So mm -hmm. that must be a massive thing of kind of, you know, in any industry, because I know that that is uh, one thing that sort of older, more traditional employers struggle with about millennials don't they this kind of like they kind of want to move on and or they want to feel they want to get promoted that kind of thing of how they fit within the workplace and the, the importance of culture is sometimes lost on them isn't it oh wow definitely and this way you just said culture so the recruitment and retention are, and retention are the two things that are the most challenging for anyone that's look in the workforce area of things and this, the company culture is very important to kind of dissect what are you working with right now and how you can make that more. And when I say millennial friendly, it's more about just having everyone be purpose driven. And this mm -hmm. is tied down to the origin story as well, because the idea is that you're creating something more than paying a paycheck. Yes. And it's like, it's about changing that mindset into the modern workforce that is looking for more than a salary. And if you look at the research, it's incredible how average, average time in a job is two years and 65% yeah. of them want a side hustle or have one. I mean, it's just, they don't want to be in their, in their positions anymore because they're the glamorized solopreneur 
position has been very much glamorized to the point where it's affecting people that are in the field. So you have people that really have an idea that really want to push forward, but then you have others that really just want to be Instagram bloggers and don't have a purpose for their, for their work as well. So yes. it's about how you leverage that within a company so that they turn into entrepreneurs, not entrepreneurs. And so, yeah, cause I, I think uh, you've completely nailed it and that's the challenge. And, and although you should be happy that someone wants to work for you because what you're doing is important to them and they want to buy into it emotionally as well as financially, but as you say, but the challenge is you invest in that person, you train them up, you give them skills. And then in about two years time, or you, you have no hold over them. They could just leave. They could like say, want to go traveling, want to maybe ramp up their side hustle a bit more. So what's your mm -hmm. kind of advice to businesses dealing with this? So when we go in for workshops and training, we start off with the company culture. That's the first thing that, that is actually evaluated because it's understanding what are the company cultures that are out there and what is yours like and how can we adapt it so it fits your, because it needs to fit your brand identity as well, because it's not about ticking boxes. It's not about like adding bean bags and just saying, oh, we're millennial friendly. We have a pool table. It's, yeah. it's more than that, because the idea is that this will literally affect the, the, their work. The, the level and quality of their work is affected by how at home they feel within their company and how much they feel driven to your purpose. So then what is your purpose? And then that's when we hit the mark where, as you said, there's a lot of brands that don't really know that to begin with. Yes. And like you say, that's kind of, um, they, they want to care about you and they want to feel at home and that that's massively important. And I think it's a, it's almost a compliment because like you said, they're invested and it really matters to them. They're not mercenary. They're not there just purely for the money. And so I guess that would be, it, do you find that it's often the the founder, if they're a bit more traditional, their mindset has struggles with it, or who 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 are the people who kind of are struggling to get their head around this or the importance of this? I think it comes down to intergenerational differences. So yeah. since we have the millennials in the workforce, we have Gen Z are the interns that are coming in as well. Um, but maybe in a year we can talk about that one. Yeah. <laughs> but it's millennials are coming in. They are a digital native, so they don't know about a world without, without technology. And then you have Gen Xers and baby boomers that have a traditional mindset. And there is a great divide. Yes. So, and there is a lack of empathy between the generations as well. So this affects every level of work from like workflows to like communication skills when you're standing up to get water. And yeah. this is something that you really need to tap into if you really want to create a good culture for your company. Mm -hmm. And I guess, is there any examples that you've come across of people doing it right? Oh yes, definitely. So the good thing is that there is a level of awareness that has been raised where people can see that because the recruitment and rotation levels are so high, the idea is that, they've noticed that there are a lot of issues and a lot of things that they aren't able to really tap into now. So yeah. now you see that you can't tap into younger, young, fresh talent because they're already they're leaving so quickly. Mm -hmm. And if you have examples like Google, I mean, the fact that Gmail was started because someone at a lower level, I think it was an intern, had the idea and presented it. Like the idea is that you have these, these workforce where you are able to talk to people at any level. So it opens the playing field for anyone that has a good idea that goes with the brand that is able to put that forward. And I've heard of companies that have, for example, mentor mentee programs that it's younger audiences that are actually mentoring the older ones. So kind of flipping that on their heads. 
And like, it's just these types of initiatives are a good way of getting, of keeping engagement going. But if you don't tap into educating first your staff on what other skills they need and on emotional intelligence and intergenerational differences, then it's very hard to actually reach that. Yes. And like you say, a good idea isn't based on age. It's always, you know, just a good idea is a good idea to whom, no matter exactly. who had it. So if you can, again, the benefit is if you kind of put the ego aside or years of experience to qualify your statements, but to actually say, I'm prepared to listen to whoever wants to talk because they might have good ideas. And the amount of times I've come across industries and products and things that are being disrupted through just often innovative young people who are just a little bit, they can see a problem, they're frustrated by it and they show the initiative to fix it. And then all of a sudden it opens everything up. So I do think that's really important. And I think, like you say, it's, it's about making people feel heard and embraced and actually accepting that this they're not going to be here for the long time. It's kind of just the mm-hmm. way it goes. Look, we're going to lose people. But on the flip side, that opens up opportunities to recruit younger, more impressive people we can learn from. Yeah, that's true. That's and then true. with the... So I'm always curious to know, trying to reach millennials, how do you, because obviously you, you, I understand how you can go into businesses and you can talk to the sort of older, the, you know, the bosses and the founders, because I get it makes complete sense because this is the future. They have to get this right. Otherwise, their business is going to struggle. If it's just, you know, kind of freelancers who are perhaps doing their side hustle, it's going well, and they want to kind of maybe expand out and maybe cut through and create kind of content that's going to be sort of that's going to resonate. What's your kind of advice on you know, maybe how to reach millennials or common misconceptions or mistakes that people make that can be avoided? I think it's important to know, regardless of, because when we say millennial, we, we always try to clarify that you can have six-year-olds that behave like millennials. Yes. So millennial, it's, it's a behavioral thing where the impact of technology has changed our behavior. Yes. And this, and millennials have actually influenced older generations. So it is the case that you have people that are 70 year olds and they are more tech savvy than you are. Um, and oh, the yeah, idea my, is my that- My dad loves Amazon Prime when he can speak into it, blew his mind. The uh, really? <laughs> Alexa on the remote, he was off. <laughs> Couldn't believe That's it. it, yeah. He, he, <laughs> he, I was, uh, yeah, you can really see, he, he was like a young kid. He was showing my son the irony. But yes, yeah, sorry, carry on. Yeah. That's amazing. See, so that's the thing. The technology has a lot of good things as well. It's not all doom and gloom, right? No, I, I hate using the phrase millennial because, as you say, it comes with connotations and it's not really fair. And it is kind of the, slightly the problem because it's often said by older people in a dismissive manner. And I think that mm-hmm. that's kind of the preconceptions you're coming with is slightly the problem. So I guess I can't think of, it's like, I don't want to say, how do you reach the youngsters nowadays? Because I sound even older than I am. But I guess it's <laughs> if you're trying to make content that's going to, I think it's probably the mindset you should be going into the way you produce content that's going to get cut through and what you're seeing is kind of working. And how can I, if I'm looking to do that, how can I modernize my approach so that I'm up to pace with, kind of who's out there and who's on, on consuming what I might want to put out. Yeah. So what we, what we, I think the marketing house is very key for this, for this conversation, because the idea is that you need to build trust with brands. And this is yeah. something that is, has always been. So brands should always strive to build trust. The problem is that now trust needs to be built online. Yeah. So the idea is that you build trust by spending time with your brand. So this is modern marketing's ultimate goal is to get your consumers to want to spend time with you. And this is why Amazon Prime has TV shows now. This is why 
Apple has tea, like shows as well. So when you go home and you sit on a couch, you're spending time with these brands and you develop a relationship with them. So mm-hmm. the idea is that you can reach that level of trust and engagement with your audience when you get to know them. So you start off with the research and audience profiling and understanding how they behave online and what type of content they consume. And then you build your marketing house based on that. So the substance of the house, the your story, their story, the their story is basically giving your consumers a platform to be on, which is your brand. And the idea is that if you make content that is tailored for your target audience, you will reach the younger, that younger audience. If your audience is a younger one in itself. That makes sense. So there is almost kind of, uh, I guess, like you said, the Amazon one is a great thing of kind of, you would think because they sell shop, they just sell everything. It's e-commerce, it's shopping but actually they produce content that people want to watch. So they build that brand affinity in the same way that you would build trust with the BBC or whatever channels you've known. And that's the whole point, isn't it? So that, like you said, that, and that's quite a nice way of looking at where you're kind of, you're looking to build content that resonates just so they hang around. And mm-hmm. as you say, trust takes a long time to build in any, in any, anything you do. So once they build the trust, they're more likely to kind of buy into what you do. And that's, I suppose it's kind of a much slower sales cycle in such. But like I said, if your mindset is in that way, you, you're, you know, you're more patient. Yeah. And the idea is that it's, it's about building that relationship where the dialogue can, is actually where the dia- dialogue happens and that's online now. So yeah. we really need to be able to study how we can tap into the, the content that is right for that relationship to happen. Yeah. And so when it comes to sort of, again, is this, you're, you're, we're back to kind of doing the research, listening to what they're saying, and then putting out, and you said like the, the points of A-B testing, I kind of, it's this thing of you get quite a lot out there to test the market and see what's working and then double down on what's working and keep going like that. Would that be right? Yes. I mean, the idea is that once you have your research in place and you understand who your audience is, you'll, you'll have different your audience usually has different segments within it. So how do you tap into these different segments? You start testing out and seeing what works best for your brand. And this can really help in terms of communication levels as well. So what copy resonates more? What call to action is actually giving me more clicks? And and I think that's also the traditional mindset. So we were, whenever an ad campaign was done and it was signed off and this was it, you only had the one and this was it. So you just like good riddance. Let's see how that goes. Now you're able to online just change it up based on how you see people respond to you. And it's quite a blessing because you're able to not only do A-B testing in parallel, you can change something if you realize that, oh, I've offended someone. Because, you know, like, there's a lot of sensitivity now with a lot of stuff that are going on with brands. So the idea is that you're actually, your thermometer is able to be a lot more, a lot more lenient to what your consumers are speaking of. Yes, it does. And you look at it now, it looks insane to spend like, I mean, a couple of million on an ad and they go, we've just got one and that's it. It's out there. And it's like, you know, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, maybe even a minute long. And you're like, there we go. That's it. Good luck. (laughs) That's done. That was six months. (laughs) It's kind of crazy, you know, and I can kind of see like, you know, like even asking someone to tune in for like 30 seconds to a minute is asking a lot of people but that's the way it's done and so like as you say this being able to be responsive in the moment by kind of testing and measuring and getting through i think that for me personally it was always that thing of where is the line between the content i wanted to create and then how i'm allowing my audience to dictate 
the content I end up distributing based on their feedback and you kind of go am I just pandering to an audience and getting away from what I want but then again that's how you sell isn't it it's I don't think there's anything wrong with that you know I've always struggled with that a bit in the past no I mean because you can't really go into I think it's important to also see what you're bringing to the table so when you when you were developing a brand, you're thinking about now, it should be that you're thinking about developing that brand into thought leadership. So yeah. what is what expert level of content can they provide that also resonates? So you're looking for like, think of a Venn diagram, you're looking at where do those two points meet? So that even though there is a great input from the consumer, who is empowered and knows that they are, but there's also a level of the brand providing value. So how can you give value to this audience that is tied to my brand identity? So that example that you gave of the, um, the New York dermatology company, yeah. that's amazing because it's completely aligned with their product line, but it's also aligned with their brand identity, They've been doing it for two years. And it also gives value back to, to their consumers because it's giving them an origin story and it's helping them bring awareness to a cause as well. So see, these are the types of things that are ideal because you're hitting every mark. Yes. The thing is that because it can be dangerous because you can have brands as well that are just creating noise out there because they think they're, that's what their consumers want. But if it doesn't resonate with your brand, and this is something that I've studied um, um, at an academic level as well, just understanding how strategic alliances need to be aligned. I mean, they yeah. really do. It's not about, you know how you go to the supermarket and there's like two for one and they stick the two things together that are completely unrelated. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's not it. It used to be, but it's not it anymore. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think the, the encouraging thing is it, it, it forces people to push harder and be better and to actually come up with solutions and ideas and stories that is um, a lot more honest and a lot more kind of interesting. And as you say, it's this kind of it, where, where can you do the thought leadership but add value? And mm-hmm. if you're, it's always the way, if you're, if you're not, once you stop selling, then it becomes easier to sell. And it is this kind of switch where you go, we don't, you know, and I'm working with a, um, a brand at the moment, which is kind of this herbal um, sort of botanical wine. It's like a, it's like a champagne infused with herbs by, and, the, and it's oh, astonishing. Wow. It's really interesting. The lady who founded it was working at Diageo. She's a retrained as a professional herbologist. And um, it's a really interesting product. And we're in this kind of thing where we're kind of not really a wine, not really a, it's a strange product, but then you're thinking, okay, how can we, create content around it which is going to appeal to the audience but is a bit more interesting so now you're thinking talking about you know creating podcasts collaborating with people hosting events and it's great because it's you're you're moving beyond the traditional kind of let's run ads let's hammer people let's do what we've always done it really forces you to think differently and as you say kind of treat your audience with a lot more respect and credit for being able to sort of see through the nonsense if you know what i mean Mm-hmm. that's it so when Somi our founder was speaking at ad week they asked her is it more is it harder now is marketing harder now <laughs> yeah. and well at the end of the day I guess it, it has a lot of more challenges now because because of the noise and because there's such abundance and because there are so many different channels that you can really think that consumers are fragmented so you don't know where they are but there is also so much so many good things that are coming with this technological era where we're able to first know more about our consumers just be, just to help by how they are online. Yeah. And besides that, we're able to really tap into the fact that it doesn't, it's, it stays with them in their pockets. So you're able to carry that journey all the way until they're in their house and you're starting a relationship from every moment with them. So it's about raising that level of touch points 
Somi yes. always talks about the, I don't know if you've heard of the zero moment of truth Google report. No, that's, tell me more. That sounds amazing. It's, it's, uh, it's really good. And it just tells you how it takes seven hours, four locations and 11 touch points to make a sale. Oh my God. Say that again. So it takes <laughs> how, how long? Seven hours? Seven hours, four different locations and 11 touch points. And so this is only able, you're only able to do this online. If you combine, obviously it's good to combine both levels, but how can you get 11 different touch points, four different locations, seven hours, if your consumer is stuck to their phone? No, of course. And like you say, it's actually quite easy. If, you, you know, if you're on the phone, like you're producing a podcast or video series, you're going to get through those seven hours quite quickly. So that makes a lot of sense. And what's that, sorry, what's that called if people want to look that up? Um, Zero Moment of Truth by Google. That sounds amazing. Yeah, no, I think that's, I, I've, yeah, yeah, this is really... I mean, it's really, I have to say, I've, I've, I've learned a huge amount, but just, it's not only about technically and tactically, but also just the mentality and, and realizing that this is how we have to be and we have to completely change the way we think and think long term. And it is, like you say, those type, that, that reminder, you always go, well, I knew it was like seven to 10 touch points. And you kind of assume that means an email, a phone call, a coffee. But it's much more than that, as you say, because like you, you know, people are always plugged into their phones. They're listening to podcasts, audio books. They're watching TV shows on YouTube. It makes it. I think for me, the great thing is knowing this is out there and it's true. It rethinks how I'm going to reach that consumer with mm-hmm. really valuable content. And again, I'm going to go back to what you talked about as a kind of asking questions, listening, observing, and let them tell me what they want to what they want and then just find mm-hmm. the overlap between what can we offer as a brand that's credible and fulfill a need in the marketplace of the people we want to reach. Definitely. It's that's amazing. Good. That's fantastic. That's, I mean, I'm going to read that straight away. That's fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. I know you're really short for time and you, cause you're super busy and in demand. If people wanted to follow you and smile, follow um, smart cookie media and watch the millennial disruption documentary where do they need to go to keep in touch yes so the documentary is on the website smartcookiemedia.com slash doc and i would really also recommend following somi our founder she's a linkedin top voice and she every week she puts out really good content that's of value to people that are in the freelance community because it's about skill sets that you need but it's also about knowing your, your market and marketing sides of things but also the career development so yeah. somi ariane on linkedin and you can Could just, you just follow spell that for me please yes s-o-m-i a-r-i-a-n amazing yeah i saw her in the in the trailer for the documentary she seriously switched on very impressive yeah and it's all very we're very research driven which is why what where we think the importance is so it's about just really being able to have the evidence to back whatever you're talking about, right? <laughs> no, I, I think it's, it's, it's the way it's got to be, as you say, because you kind of, without the research, you're, you're limiting your chance of success. And, you mm-hmm. know, you're going to, if anything, if you get that wrong, you could be doing damage to your brand rather than actually building up in the, with the right people. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's, it's one of those things that, what I loved is the, the things you talked about earlier are easy for anyone to do. Well, that's a small company, big company, or even individuals trying to gain some insight. I know that the last night I was reading, my friend, he sells uh, it's a shop called Retro Supply, and he sells like um, Photoshop files and typefaces and uh, Procreate brushes, and he's been doing it for, for years, and he makes a lot of money doing it. And um, he's doing a course on you know, how, to, how to do, I think it's uh, Smart Passive Income for Designers. 
but part of the first module he's he's obsessed with how do you gather research can you see an opportunity can you do this and he was like listing the things to do and it's exactly what you've talked about it's like you've got to at some point find is there demand for what you're offering and the only way you do that is by doing your research because if you don't do that you'll put all your work in and it will no one will care you know so this is what you the tips you gave earlier are going to be invaluable yeah definitely and it's it's as you say it's about more changing a mindset than if you're a big player or a small player in the market yeah and i like said when you go into it knowing that you're going to have to at least connect with for seven hours four locations 11 touch points before you make that first sale it changes your whole business model the way you organize your cash flow your expectations and you know it sets you up for success because you have a modern contemporary mindset you're not deluded into thinking if I distribute enough leaflets or run enough Facebook ads, I'll get there eventually. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, you, the days of battering people into submission have gone. So I think this is really, really enlightening. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Lola. You've that's been, I've, I've really enjoyed it and learned a huge amount. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I look forward to connecting. Cool. And if anyone wants to follow yourself and see what you're up to, is there anywhere they can go? Yeah. So I'm Lola Ortiz on LinkedIn as well. Okay, amazing. Thank you very much. Sounds great. Thanks for the time. Cheers, bye. Bye-bye.